tonight, uh, we are going to be looking at uh, justice, or as Batman calls it, <clears throat> justice. <laughs> but now, before we begin, I just, I just got to ask you this one question. Uh, have you heard of Batman's brother, Hi-Hat Man? <laughs> because he's a real symbol of justice. <laughs> I've seriously been waiting all day to say that. Um, um, and as you, you might notice, I haven't been around Derek and Steven for a while, so I'm, I'm, I need to restock on puns. Um, but one of Batman's most defining quotes, um, uh, for those of you who might remember, is, it's not who I am underneath, but what I do that defines me. It's not who I am underneath, um, but what I do that defines me. Now, although noble and virtuous, uh, those words might be in their intent, uh, this philosophy is very much of the world and very much man-centric. Um, and actually very antithetical, antithetical to Scripture. So I'm sorry, Batman, uh, but you're wrong on this one. It is not what you do that defines you. It is not what you do that makes you who you are. It really is, in fact, who you are underneath that defines you. It is who you are underneath that will define what you do. So if you're talking to Batman, if the heart beneath that Kevlar-plated bodysuit is an unregenerate heart, then all your good works remain filthy rags before God. All the rounding up of bad guys, all the grappling hooking, all the batmobiling, all the vigilanteing, all of that does you no good, and all of that will get you no further from the wrath of God in hell. And now the same must be said for the worldly man seeking to do good. Seeking to do good according to what his eyes perceive as good. Trying to fight injustice. Taking a stand for justice. In the end, the sum of all his good works amount to a grand total heaping pile of filthy rags before the holy God. Now, when I was assigned this topic of justice, I, I felt that this might have the, the potential to be a very sensitive uh, subject. Because um, oftentimes we'll find that we have adopted notions and ideologies that have been informed by our experiences. Notions and ideologies that have been informed by the people who have spoken into our lives over the years or uh, how they've been, how these notions and ideologies have been informed by our education and also the media. And I don't know if we realize it, but all of these sources preach 
your experiences preach to you, teaching you. Your experiences color the lens through which you perceive life. And your education preaches to you. It shapes a worldview, whether you're cognizant of it or not. And the secular media definitely preaches. It continually hurls ideologies and worldly philosophies at us, seeking to reshape our worldview with every turn of current events that seem to pop up week by week. But I would plead with you now that we might all come humbly before the timeless, unchanging word of the eternal God, that we might be meek and receptive to its transforming power. And may we continue and, and always be marked as people of the word. People seeing and perceive, perceiving our world, our lives, and all of existence through this single lens of God's word. By which the man of God may be complete. Right. Um, so with that, I want to pray for us before we jump in. God, we, we thank you, Lord, just for this, this chance, this opportunity for us to open your word. Um, as every opportunity is so precious and so significant. For these are the words of an eternal God spoken for the benefit, for the attaining of wisdom, for a feeble mortal men. Lord, your word is living and active. I pray, God, that uh, you would cause us to come with hearts that are softened and meek, um, recept receptive to what your word has to say and how we should define our worldviews. We don't come with our own preconceived notions, but we come humble and meek before the eternal word of the eternal God. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in today's passage, we're going to examine God's definition of justice. And we're, the plan is we're going to look at three passages here in Proverbs uh, to get an overview of the theme of justice in Proverbs. And so, uh, by way of an outline, we're going to be looking at the recognition of justice. That's from Proverbs 28.5. And the practice of justice. And then the bestower of justice. So first off, if you'd like to turn with me to Proverbs 28. It's just one verse. And that, that's something characteristic of the book of Proverbs. Um, it, you kind of have to see it as a whole book, and, and you, you kind of have to trace these themes throughout the book. And, and that's, that's essentially how uh, Pastor Ray and Pastor Roger has, have kind of a structured uh, this whole series. So the recognition of justice, Proverbs 28.5. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord 
understand it completely. Simple. I mean, Proverbs are all these pithy statements, right? Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. Now, the essential foundational truth from the book of Proverbs is that man left to himself apart from God will be a fool. Because even from childhood, uh, folly is bound up in his heart. And the more life he lives in this world, the more decisions he encounters, the more habits he develops, the more suppositions and philosophical hypotheses that he theorizes, the more of a fool will he become. Or rather, the more will his pre-existing folly be exposed and even multiplied. So the, the, the deeper he, uh, basically, the more life he lives, the deeper he will dig himself into this endless pit of folly. Um, as we've seen elsewhere in Proverbs, right? There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. This is a recurring refrain through Proverbs. In Proverbs 14, 12, 16, 25, uh, 3, 7, 16, 2, 16, 25, 21, 2. So there is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Evil men do not understand justice. So the word for evil here uh, can be translated as evil, bad, or even sad. Um, it's used 667 times in the Old Testament. So 667 times does the word is the word evil used in the Old Testament. So does that say something about mankind to whom the Bible was written? So you get a letter from someone, and, and 667 times in this letter you find the word evil, and in this letter is addressed to you. So it might be telling of something about the condition of our soul, right? Now this word, one of the earliest uses of it, I mean, it was used to describe the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but, evil, but also in Genesis 6, noted, notably, to describe the corruption that was on the earth before the flood. Genesis 6, 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Evil, right? Every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And I ask, did anything change after the flood? Because you see, two chapters after God's covenant with Noah when they left the ark, just two chapters later, we have mankind building a tower in self-willed defiance against God. Just two chapters later. And today is no different. The unregenerate heart of man is no different in 2020 than it was on the plains of Babel in Genesis 11 or in Noah's day in Genesis 6, or on our last day in Eden in Genesis 3. 
Proverbs 19.3 says that the heart of the fool rages against God. The heart of the fool rages against God because he thinks he knows better. He thinks he can define abstract concepts like righteousness and love and justice apart from God, without God in the picture. If you try to take God out of the picture and righteousness has what becomes what it, it, righteousness has no model if you take god out of the picture righteousness has no pattern if you take god out of the picture righteousness has no precedent if you take god out of the equation out of the picture love has no ideal if you remove God from the definition of love, then love has no archetype. And if you take God out of the picture with regards to justice, then justice has no benchmark. Justice has no rubric. Justice has no standard. Evil men do not understand justice. And yet still, today's culture at large loves to weigh in and debate over the hot topic of justice. And the culture has created its own ideas and notions and definitions of justice apart from God. But as we know, the, un, the natural unregenerate heart of man is blind. Unregenerate man is blind. He's blind by his own sin-corrupted mind. He's blinded by his sin-stained life experiences. And he's also blinded by the prince of the power of the air who directs the system of the world. See, evil men do not understand justice. But instead, as we find in Romans, man has become futile in his speculations and his foolish heart has been darkened. Professing to be wise, he has become what? A fool. So the debates and speculation in secular culture is endless. The world is vying to define justice, seeking ways to decry injustice and conjuring up reparations and retribution. And this frivolous debate goes on and on because apart from God, evil men do not understand justice. The world can't grasp it. They can't perceive it. The world can't discern justice. They can't define it. They can't define it. They, they won't get it. This is essentially the, the never-ending hamster wheel of secular philosophy. It's a game of pin the tail on the donkey uh, w where there is no donkey. <laughs> this is the song that never ends. It just goes on and on, my friends. Proverbs 3, 7, do not be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord. 
Proverbs 12:15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. So it will not come from within himself. Man can speculate and theorize all he wants, but it will be a futile, a futile chasing after the wind. It must come from an external source. So though a man's folly ruins his way and his heart rages against God, as Proverbs 19 has said, man's only hope of wisdom and salvation and his only hope of understanding justice will come from his creator. So how does one then truly understand justice? So we look at the second half of the verse. But those who seek the Lord understand it completely. But those who seek the Lord understand it completely. The word for seek is saying those who seek God will understand justice completely. Those who seek after God in the same way that Joseph went seeking out his brothers when he was wandering in the fields by Shechem uh, before they threw him in the cistern. The same word is used also how the psalmist writes of those begging for bread. The same seeking is used by Isaiah to describe the parched and thirsty seeking water. Those who seek the Lord understand justice completely. And as New Testament believers, we understand that no one is able to seek God apart from God's intervention. Romans 3.11, there is none who understands. There is none who what? Seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. And Jesus speaking in John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So no one is able to seek God apart from God's quickening him, apart from God's intervention. And coincidentally, it's actually in the very gospel itself, when he draws us to Christ, where justice is displayed in all its glory and power. Because for all those who seek God, spanning across the Old Testament through the New Testament, the foundational underlying matter that defines how man relates to God is what? The foundational underlying, underlying matter defining how man relates to God. What is that matter? What is that issue? That is sin. Therefore, the all-encompassing categorical definition of justice is this. The soul who sins shall die. That's it. While the world is seeking to define justice, what is justice? How, how, how does it flesh out? How, how, did, how is it brought about? God has given us a definition of justice, a timeless definition. The soul who sins shall die. Ezekiel 18, verse 4, as well as verse 20. The soul who sins shall die. And it's not just isolated in Ezekiel. This is all across Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. 
in Exodus 32, on the day I settle accounts, says Yahweh, I will punish them for their sin. Isaiah 3.11, woe to the wicked, disaster is upon them, for they will be repaid with what their hands have done. The soul who sins shall die. And into the New Testament, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Romans 3.10, or, or sorry, Romans 2.6, God will repay each one according to his deeds. And the best part, Romans 3.23, we all can recite, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, not even one. Romans 3.10. The soul who sins shall die. Our understanding of justice must be consistent with God's definition of justice. If we truly demanded justice on earth in God's eyes at this moment, then that would be calling for the immediate damnation of every soul. For every soul has sinned. Right, this is this is zooming out. This is perspective shaping. <clears throat> and again, I I have to say this isn't just a, a distinctly an Old Testament notion, because I believe Jesus Himself already gave us an example of how He might respond in His response to certain injustices that were brought before Him. So in Luke 13, uh, verses 1 through 5, I'll just read it. This is the passage considered, uh, about the uh, Galileans who were massacred by Pilate in the Tower of Siloam. Now on the same occasion, there were some present who, who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So people were crying out for answers to these apparent injustices. Right, Jesus, what is the explanation for this? Who should be held accountable? Was it because those people were worse sinners? How can Pilate do such a thing? How can God let this happen? But Jesus doesn't linger. He doesn't, meet, he doesn't miss a beat. He cuts straight to the fundamental problem. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And I believe he would say the same for the injustices we see in our fallen world today. 
What is the exp explanation for all of this injustice? What is the meaning of all this human suffering? And we don't mean to downplay the horror of what happened in Luke 13 and what happens in our day. It was indeed an egregious atrocity that Pilate committed, massacring those Galilean worshipers the way that he did while they were offering their sacrifices. And it was indeed a tragic calamity when those 18 people were, were crushed to death at the Tower of Siloam. And today, God does not look upon the perpetrators of human trafficking and genocide and discrimination and the cold-blooded extermination of the unborn. God does not look upon these perpetrators without furious rage. But if, we're, we're, but if we are to understand God's justice as he sees it, we can't stop there. For all the liars, the coveters, the lusting, the selfish, the arrogant, the disobedient to parents, the gossipers, the slanderers. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Unless you repent of your sins and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will all likewise perish. You see, the response that Jesus gives, the answer, the solution to the problem of evil in this world, to the problem of human suffering, to the problem of injustice, is inherently in the saving gospel of Jesus Christ itself, which redeems a fallen man from this fallen world. For in the gospel... For in it, as Paul says in Romans, the righteousness, the judicial approval, the justice of God is revealed. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord, those who are drawn to him through the grace the forgiveness, the glory, and the justice in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Understand it completely. God's people who have sought him from ages past and present understand justice. For we understand our place as sinners before a holy, holy, holy God Sinners who are redeemed only by his mercy and grace. Who in fact will shudder at the request or at the demand for justice. So we've seen the recognition of justice. And now we will move to the practice of justice. And for this, I want to look at Proverbs 31. Verses 8 to 9. Proverbs 31, verses 8 to 9. 
And I'll read, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all the unfortunate. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the afflicted and needy. So open your mouth for the mute. The mute are those who are unable to speak. Literally unable to speak. And for the rights of all the unfortunate. That word for unfortunate is literally the passing away, the vanishing. It's in, and that word is actually used just one time in the whole New Old Testament. And that's right here. Um, and this is the noun form, the, the form, the verb form is to pass away, to perish. Um, and Strong's concordance actually by implication says that this refers, can refer to orphans. Uh, one commenter uh, says, these are those who are certain to perish if left unaided. Unfortunate, literally the passing away. Those certain to perish if left unaided. So open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of these certain to perish if left unaided. These perhaps orphans. Open your mouth. Judge righteously and defend the rights of the afflicted and needy. The rights, the cause, defend the justice of the afflicted and needy. The afflicted, the poor, the lowly, the humble. Now in ancient times, in the Roman Empire, infanticide, that is the killing of children, was codified into law. Roman law and that of the ancient world actually saw nothing morally wrong with the killing of newborns. Unwanted babies were left on the dung heaps of Roman cities. This is actually how Romulus, the founder of Rome, and his brother Ramus were left for dead as infants by their mother. And they were uh, historically allegedly found by a wolf that nursed them and then adopted by a shepherd named Faustulus, uh, who, who encountered the, the two boys. And even the refined Cicero wrote in his treatise on the laws, he wrote this, deformed infants shall be killed. And this definition of deformity could simply be an unwanted child. or it's a sickly child, a deformed child, or simply a child of a sex that was not preferred. So for any of those reasons, uh, an infant could be killed. Aristotle, even the great Aristotle wrote that no deformed child shall be reared, shall be raised. And Plutarch, he writes about how how this took place in Sparta. So a new father was obliged to carry the newborn child, the newborn child before the elders at a place called Les Leska. I can't pronounce it, but and their business was to carefully view the infant, and if they found it stout and well made, they gave order for its rearing and allotted to it one of the nine thousand shares of land. But if they found it puny and ill-shaped, they would order it to be taken to what was called the 
apotheta, apothete, the depository, which was a large cave under Mount Tagetus in the Peloponnese. This was because they thought it neither for the good of the child itself, nor for the good of public interest that the child should be raised. And in the catacomb of Praxitus, which is a large tomb in Rome, there is a grave that was entitled Stercorius, which is Latin for abandoned in the garbage. And that would be stating it politely. These were children that were abandoned infants that were abandoned on the dung hills and garbage heaps of Rome. And there are also tiny graves in the catacombs with the epitaphs, adopted daughter of so-and-so or adopted son of so-and-so. Now Tertullian, who's an early church father, wrote that these were the graves of babies that were rescued by Christians. It was the early Christians who would seek out tiny bodies of newborn babies from the refuse, from the dung heaps, and they would raise the living as their own, or they would tend to them until they died, or they would give the dead that they found a decent burial. It was the early Christians that did this. This is our heritage. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all the unfortunate, for the perishing away ones. I'm not sure if you guys heard about uh, New York's RHA, Reproductive Health Act, but over fear that uh, the Supreme Court nominees that Trump appointed would overturn Roe versus Wade, this is what the state of New York did. They moved quickly to codify Roe versus Wade into state law. That way they can seek to try to frustrate any uh, federal intervention if Roe versus Wade is eventually overturned um, by the Supreme Court nominees. And on January 22nd, 2019, last year, New York passed this Reproductive Health Act, which legalized abortion up to the point of birth and even beyond. And it also removed abortion from the criminal code. And so now it is now legal to neglect, choke, or smother a baby that somehow survived the lethal injection and the knife cuts designed to kill during the abortion procedure. So the state of New York has passed this act so that precious little babies are torn to shreds in the name of reproductive health.
UNICEF statistics state that there are currently roughly 153 million orphans worldwide. And in other arenas, girls and boys younger than 10 years old are being trafficked into sex slavery, where the global human trafficking industry is estimated to be a $31 billion industry every year. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all the unfortunate. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the afflicted and needy. We who have tasted tremendous grace must vehemently condemn and oppose the evils that are perpetrated every day in this fallen world. Yet how will deliverance and justice ultimately be fulfilled? Right? That's, that's a million-dollar question. That's the $31 billion question every year. <clears throat> How will deliverance and justice ultimately be fulfilled? And for that, I want to go to our final passage. Uh, Proverbs 20, 29, verse 26. This is the executor of justice. It should just be a page over. Uh, verse 26. Many seek the ruler's favor, but justice for man comes from the Lord. God is the executor. God is the agent. God is the broker of justice. Ultimately, he is the one who will be dishing out and dealing out justice for man. The horrors that we witness on this side of eternity is the reality, the reality of living in a sin-marred, fallen world. And we can oftentimes feel overwhelmed in the face of so much evil in this world, in the face of so much human suffering, in the face of so much injustice. But we must understand that all attempts to transform anything or anyone apart from the gospel is likened to rearranging chairs on the deck of the Titanic. We must remember that this world is not our home. This world is passing away, 1 John and 1 Corinthians 7 speak of this and we look not at the things which are seen but at the things which are not seen for the things which are seen are temporal but the things which are not seen are eternal and christian take heart for jesus had said these things i have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace in the world you have tribulation but take courage for what I have overcome the world. Therefore, we long beside the saints of the Old Testament. We long beside them. And we will look to 
with eager hope for the kingdom of God, because in that day, all will be made new and all will be made right. The sad reality is the corruption of mankind will only progress. Will only get worse and worse. <laughs> Therefore, for the believer, it, it's like in Psalms. You know, you look through through all the book of Psalms, it's just this this book filled with all the ups and downs, the emotions, the the, the longing, the joy, the anguish, the suffering. Um, the vehemence over this fallen condition that we find ourselves in, but looking to hope, looking to that day when the kingdom of God will come. Therefore, the book of Psalms ends in just unending praise. And so to that end, do we look and do we hope when all will be made new, all will be made right, where the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk 2.14 And until then, the justice that we must offer this broken world is God's justice. That we would plead to the world to repent and escape His wrath to come plea to them to embrace the ultimate display of his justice upon man. The ultimate exercising of his justice upon man. And that was the display of his justice upon a man. One man for the sake of all men. The only justice that we can offer the world is the justice purchased for them by the blood of Jesus Christ, where justice and mercy met, where the wrath of God was satisfied and condemned sinners were justified. For Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. And so we end on the gospel. And there's nowhere else we can go. There's nowhere else we can offer hope to this world. Anything else will, would convolute the gospel message and the, and the mission of the church. And so we rest upon the hope, extending that hope to this world, the only hope in Christ Jesus, our Savior, the Redeemer who redeems that which was lost that which is perishing away from the fall. So let's pray. God, your timeless definition of justice will forever endure into eternity this perpetual definition of justice that the soul that sins shall die. And, O wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death 
Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The one who has absorbed that justice on our behalf so that this soul who has sinned, though I must die, has had someone die in my place. So God, help us, keep us in your word, keep us faithful to your, the clarity of your gospel message, to the orthodox teachings that your son himself explained to us while he was here on earth, which he himself put into motion and accomplished for us, demonstrating his love for us on the cross, demonstrating his ability to satisfy your justice, and who has commission for us to display and to convey this justice to a world that is longing for justice. May they find it in Jesus Christ. So to that end, we pray. It is in his name we pray. Amen.